back to the European show. I think this is episode 19 and we're here to give you a big review of, of all the Champions League games that happened this over these past two weeks and to join me as always is Nick so welcome back Nick. I'm doing okay so the first place we should start is normally we're going chronological order we're going to go backwards this time so we'll start with Liverpool versus Real Madrid, which is the game that produced the most goals um, from these Champions League ties this weekend, or this, or these past two weeks, and it it it, it was really a tale of how shit two goalkeepers can be. So first, Liverpool took quite a, a resounding lead. They were leading two 0 within Good fifteen one. minutes. Um, and a great goal to, from Salah. A great goal from Darwin Nunes. Uh, yeah, uh, Katiba Kotar clearly showing how he's not actually as good as people think he is. Um, you, you see, no, I, I have my theory that uh, Courtois is actually a, an Atletico Madrid sleeper agent. And he uh, arrived at Real Madrid um, to very slowly gain the trust of Carlo Ancelotti for this exact moment. Um, but then Liverpool were too bad to actually hold on to the lead that was gifted to them. And then Vinicius Junior comes in and basically brings Real Madrid back. A great no, 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 first no, no, no. Goal. Vinicius helped, but really it was Carlo Ancelotti raising his eyebrow, which changed the dynamic of the game. It was a great first goal from Vinicius, and then Alisson made a very similar mistake um, to Courtois. To allow Real Madrid to make it two-two, and then in the second half, Liverpool just kind of collapsed. Um, Edmund Militao gave Real Madrid the lead with a very, it was very passive defending from Liverpool. In a normal situation, none, that goal wouldn't normally go in, you know, because people would actually be actively trying to stop it. But the defense was very passive. Um, Benzema. Made it 4-2 before Benzema then scored again. This time, Liverpool lost the ball. And then Luka Modric, with the grand old age of 37, um, kind of drives Real Madrid forward before passing it to Vinicius. He then passed it to Benzema to make it 5-2. So, we're used to Real Madrid making these sort of comebacks in the, in the second legs. So, obviously, this was not a night to be a defender um, for either team really I think both teams were equally as bad but just Liverpool were worse um, so it begs the question now Liverpool are three goals behind and they have to go to the Bernabeu um, in the next game the only team to have scored three goals there this season is, is Barcelona obviously you could make an argument that they're quite shit um, so it really can Liverpool, is there any hope of a Liverpool comeback? Or no, no, there's not. Jack, have you have you seen the difference in the quality of the teams when they beat Barcelona? Well, back then when they made that, that comeback against Barcelona, it was because Barcelona was already quite a shaky team. They they did beat Liverpool um, at the Camp Nou, but that's just because Messi is quite a good football player, and um, I believe Suarez had a good performance that night as well. Um, they could have won by more if Dembele knew how to finish but throughout the game you, you saw that Liverpool were really quite on the offensive and they were kind of pinning uh, Barcelona back 
and you kind of had this sense that Barcelona were lucky to not have conceded at least one goal. And so on the way back, Barcelona completely collapsed, Liverpool run them over, and 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 that was it. But here, you didn't really feel that. You you feel quite the opposite that uh, that Liverpool got a few lucky goals. One of them was lucky. One of them was from starting off strong off the bat. But then, like once Real Madrid got into the game, it it, it wasn't close. It 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 really wasn't. It was just one team being considerably better than the other, and Real Madrid now have to manage games, and they they have the player quality to keep the the match under control. Not not only will Liverpool not make a comeback, but they will actually maybe even struggle to win or not lose that game. So last time Carlo Ancelotti had a three goal lead in the Champions League uh, was Istanbul, and he AC Milan, and he blew it. So, so the the omens, the omens are there. Well, yeah, but it's it's been what, it's been what, fifteen, twenty years. I think I think he learned a little bit about uh, game management, hasn't he, Jack? With this performance, do we think Real Madrid are favourites? Obviously, they're the reigning champions. Can we say they're favourites though, because they have shown that there are weaknesses in Courtois, and and they're also and they've also shown how how inconsistent they are in the league itself as well uh, agreed i think that um this shows that they do have a winning mentality which is important and um it does improve them shall we say in terms of like their chances um and uh i think some of their players that had been underperforming uh before like valverde really took this opportunity to um to improve and, and get back to a, a good level but uh, i think right now there's just a few teams that are like very scary Bayern munich which will which we'll get to later i'm sure um, are looking seriously, seriously good in their game against PSG. Sure, PSG was wasn't playing at their best, but uh, but you just saw the tactical dominance of Nagelsmann and a, and a good team completely overrunning PSG. Like that that game could have ended three nil if Sergio Ramos wasn't playing an an amazing match. And so I think that Bayern are quite possibly favourites um, because of the result against RB Leipzig. I would no longer really consider Man City favourites either, but. Um, but believe it or not, I I really like Napoli, and um, they're a little little bit like my dark horse. But uh, I would probably fancy the chances just slightly better than Real Madrid, which sounds a bit controversial. But uh, but they're a really good team. <laughs> like they're a really good team. So um, but obviously they don't have the experience or winning mentality that Real Madrid do. So uh, so that will change some things, I think. But uh, but no, I think Real Madrid are among the favorites. But there are a few teams that I would rate more highly than them. On Napoli, they played the same night, and they. Beat Eintracht Frankfurt two 0 um, uh, Napoli just kind of showed how good they are at the moment. Kravetschelia missed a penalty um, quite early on. Well, it was really saved by Kevin Trapp, but then literally a, a couple of minutes later, Victor Washerman continued his season and opened the scoring for Napoli. Then in the second half, there was quite a an interesting red card given to Vandokolo Muwani, who stepped on Zambo and Gisa. However, it was really a 50-50 challenge and Zambo and Gisa was already sliding for the ball. Um, so that doesn't really help Frankfurt out here. And then um, Giovanni Di Lorenzo uh, doubled Frankfurt's lead with a backheel assist from Kravitz Shelia. So... Yeah, uh, Napoli's lead. So Napoli have a comfortable tuna lead to take back to Naples. Um, 
and for Frankfurt they've have this season they have had their weaknesses mainly in defence and I think that was shown again today Evan and Dicker and, and Tuta have shown although on the days they can be good defenders they have shown that they are quite fragile at times and can quite easily or be overrun and, and prove quite shaky and we saw that here I think there was a good few times I think Napoli had a goal disallowed and Evan and Dicker was the one that gave the ball away before Victor Washington was called for offside so I, I think obviously this is going to be an uphill battle for Frankfurt especially with the fact that the one of the best informed players in Europe at the moment in Brando Colomuani is now out with a red card it, it just makes this challenge a lot harder um, and especially with the with the quality in attack that Napoli possess at this moment, at the moment, it's going to be very hard to to stop them, especially in Naples as well. So I think this may be the end of the road to Frankfurt. Obviously, anything could happen um, in the la in the in the second leg, but I I think. Oliver Glasner likes to stick with the same team over and over again, and they don't away from their best players like Kolo Moani, Jesper Lindstrom, Daichi Kamada. There's a big drop off in quality, and the players are not as are not as good as as those first team options. Um, on Wednesday, we had RB Leipzig play Manchester City in the we throw money at stuff to try and do well, but it never works. Game. Um, Manchester City took the lead uh, through Riyad Mahrez and it, Manchester City were dominant in the first half. Leipzig were unable to do anything to Manchester City's goal. They were rather quite passive. And they, their first shot, I think, was right at the end of half-time. Right, right at the end of the first half before half-time. But then in the second half, they, came, they turned things around. They brought on Benjamin Hendricks. And they kind of started to dominate Manchester City in a way. And they also brought in Nkunku, who's made his return now back from his injury, which is a big plus, especially for the second leg. And slowly but surely, Leipzig got into the game and they rewarded with a goal from Josko Vardio, a header, um, to make it 1-1, which is a very positive result, especially for Leipzig to be taking to Manchester. And... Maybe controversial, but now with the like uh, with away goals gone, I think it just makes this. It doesn't make ties as complicated, you know. So in, in this situation here, Manchester City would technically be leading two one, and so that means Leipzig would have to score. Um, would would have to score at home, whereas now, if they wanted. Leipzig, they're not going to because this isn't Leipzig. They could literally just park the bus for 120 minutes and take the game to penalties. Um, so it means that a lot less teams are going to be, I think, they're not going to be parking the bus as much. Um, well, they could do, certain teams can, but in games like this, I think the second is going to be wide open. And we could potentially here see Manchester City collapse. Uh, agreed. Um, I think it was another one of those cases in which, um, in which 
uh, Guardiola, not Guardiola, Guardiola um, overcomplicates the match. Um, he's got into a strange habit of um, playing Bernardo Silva left back. And while Bernardo Silva didn't do that very much this game, um, it's still he was still not in that usual offensive third where uh, he's really at his best. Sure, he's, he's a good, good box-to-box midfielder, but like you can't be taking him out, especially against a team as defensively fragile as any team that plays a Red Bull style of football. Like You really need a, a, a very creative and, and free-flowing attack to exploit the, the spaces that you'll undoubtedly find, especially when you have Erling Haaland in front of you. And so, it, well, once again, Man City found themselves without, um, well, j- just trying something that they weren't good at. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say, but something something they haven't tried before is, is a better kind of way of saying what I'm trying to say. So I, I think uh, it, um, yeah, it's just a bad, bad tactical choice by, uh, by uh, what's his name? Guardiola. And I, I think the, the return of, especially, so Christopher and Kinku didn't really impact the game that much now, but in three weeks' time, when he's back to full match fitness and back to his best, I definitely think, I'm not going to say Leipzig are favourites because they're not, but I definitely think the chances of Leipzig causing an upset and then potentially winning are a lot greater. Then the other game of that night saw Inter play Porto, um, Inter peppered into uh, Porto's goal. Obviously Diogo Costa, who had this very strong group stage, um, had a strong game again, but it was too. It wasn't enough. Is Lukaku scored the winner for Inter and give them the uh, advantage going into the second leg. So now we will have our break, and then we'll be back with last weekend or last week's games. From our break, we'll now look at the week, last week's Champions League games. So the biggest one was obviously PSG versus Bayern Munich. I think we could maybe call them modern day rivals. Um, but here, PSG once again proved how they're not going to win the Champions League <laughs> because they were just that poor in the first half against Bayern Munich, and then they maybe tried to t- change it around. In the second half, but it was a bit too late as Bayern took the lead through Kingsley Coman. And Bappe did equalise, but it was ruled out for offside. But apart from that, um, PSG were rather uh, ineffective at really causing any damage to Bayern. And Bayern kind of just coasted through this one. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Really, it was a. Uh... I mean, PSG are just Mbappe merchants, really. Sure, in the league, they can rely on on Messi, on Messi and Neymar a little bit more. But, uh, well, Neymar's birthday is coming up. Neymar's sister's birthday, sorry. His sister's birthday is coming up soon, so uh, they won't be able to rely on him much longer. Uh, actually, he's out injured for a while. Um, and, uh, I mean, Messi at the intensity of the Champions League hasn't um, showed... He, he played a decent game against Bayern Munich, to be, to be fair, to be fair. But, um, but, but, but it's like, he's not a difference maker yet, like he used to be. He hasn't shown it. Um, the only difference maker, as I said earlier, is Mbappe, and that's the entire team. The entire team is just Mbappe, and as I also said a little bit earlier, even, um, Ramos also played a very good game, uh, basically just holding up the entire back line. But, uh, but beyond those two, th- 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 where is the midfield? There is no midfield. 
it's just four people trying to pass the ball, getting completely overrun by a much stronger, much more technical uh, Bayern Munich midfield who actually know what they're doing. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, it was men against boys in, in the middle of the park. It really was. And, and even in defense, like their wide defenders really aren't that good. Who's the, who's the left back? Um, he's a Portuguese guy. I forgot his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nuno Mendes. The, the way he lets in that goal by uh, by Kingsley Coleman was ridiculous. He gets completely lost. He just, I mean, it's weird. He he loses sight of where Kingsley Coleman is, forgets all about him, moves into a completely unrelated part of the pitch, and then when the ball is coming, he just sees it sailing right past him, and then suddenly Nuno Mendes not Nuno Mendes. Suddenly Kingsley Coleman's behind him and just slots it in with no problem. Like you can't defend like that if you're a Champions League team, really. So it'd be interesting how this second leg goes, um, because. We'll probably talk about Bayern again if it. Well, we will talk about Bayern later on. But so far, it, it taking into this one Champions League game and his appearances in the league, the signing of Jao Cancelo has been rather underwhelming. I mean, he got pulled off at half time in this game against PSG, and in the league, he's just been rather. He got an assist in a Pokal game against Mainz and got one assist against Wolfsburg. And apart from that, he's been rather ineffective. In he's not been able to be the Cancelo that he was at the beginning of this season. And he's. it seems either he doesn't fit into how Julian Nagelsmann wants to play. Because he's choosing Benjamin Pavard over him, which on paper is just a stupid decision. Um, but even the times they have played together, Cancelo has not been that effective and, and it's just seemingly something that continues so either it's a case that he's still bedding in at Bayern well he's b- nearly been there for a month he's still bedding in um, but so far he hasn't proved to be the player that everyone hoped him to be when he signed so the other Champions League game on that night saw Milan beat Tottenham 1-0 um, so, surprisingly despite Milan's poor season um, they're able to deal with Tottenham quite well and it's really a case of here of how you look at both of these teams drew against each other because neither of them should be in the quarterfinals if I'm being honest um, but they will be because that's how the draw works so the next game and I think arguably one of the more exciting games especially maybe not on par goals wise with Liverpool Real Madrid but definitely a wide open game was Prissy Dortmund versus Chelsea. It was back and forth throughout the whole game. Obviously, Chelsea have been quite shit for the rest of this season. Um, whereas Dortmund were quite shit at the start of the season. But since the new year, they've just become this whole different beast. And they're once again showing that something is happening in Dortmund. Something that could potentially be quite special. Because... Chelsea, obviously, they possess all this attacking firepower from the vast amounts of money they spent. And Dortmund's defence um, were able to hold them. And and we saw a great game from Nico Schlotterbeck. Um, Emre Chan was good, which for most of his time as Dortmund, he's been quite poor. They're starting Marius Wolf for some God knows reason, but it's working. And Gregor Kobel showing why he is... Potentially, at this moment, probably the best goalkeeper in the Bundesliga. 
because um, he once again made several decent saves to keep out Chelsea's vast attacking players. Um, but it was on the attacking end where Dortmund obviously got the better of Chelsea where they scored with Karim Adeyemi, who started his first six months at Dortmund quite poorly. Um, I don't think he even scored or even got an assist. But since then, he's been a completely different person. Sadly, he's now, he's now injured. But um, in this Chelsea game, he scored a great goal with absolutely burning past Enzo Fernandez um, before beating Gepa um, to give Dortmund the lead. And obviously the win of the tie. And I definitely think, looking right now, well, obviously the second leg's in two or three weeks' time. I think two. Um, I don't think Chelsea can really... It didn't look like Chelsea were able to do anything attacking-wise, and I really don't think that's going to change anytime soon. The the, the new David Rafafana, the, the the new striker. He's a striker, and he could become a good one, but um, in three weeks' time, he's still going to be a a pretty average dude. Yeah, p- pretty normal guy. Um, of course they have um Armando Broja. Once he comes back, he can also play striker. He once again may one day become a good striker, but in three weeks, he will still be injured. But still, you get my point. He right now isn't a world class striker, and so Joao Felix creates a lot of chances, but he can't finish very well. Mudrik runs very fast, but he can't finish very well. Um, all their other new signings, which I'm not going to go through all of them, you get my point. Once again, they can create a lot of chances, but they can't finish very well. Um, so that's kind of the problem. They they can get the ball up the pitch. But then once they, they get into the box, nobody knows what to do with the ball. No one can start in the back of the net. And that's really where, um, where opposition are eating them up. They know, uh, they, they, know they can't shoot very well um, under normal circumstances. They can't finish particularly well. So, so they, they're quite comfortable allowing them uh, into the box and then just taking the ball from them, waiting for them to make a mistake, a bad pass, a, a wayward shot. And so they're pretty toothless up front. On other areas of the pitch, they're all right. Um, we did see Enzo Fernandez get completely eaten up by um, by Karim Adeyemi, which was quite an interesting watch. But uh, but for the most part, uh, they're quite solid in the middle uh, and in defense. They're also all right. But yeah, but, but like you said, in attack, they just don't have a striker. There is no striker. There's there's nobody to be feeding ball. There's no Erling Haaland. There's no Robert Lewandowski. There's there's not a target man who just makes use of all the stupidly good players they have. Actually, that's a bit of a situation. They're pretty good players, but none of them are like. Yeah. Also, a little bit of prop here. Um, Joao Felix has the most ball losses um, in possession in the top five leagues since he joined uh, Chelsea. So, uh, something's going to uh, change. The other game, Go on. the final game was Benfica Club Rouge. Benfica comfortably beat Club Rouge 2-0. Um, actually, ever since Scott Parker took charge, Bruges have been absolutely dog shit. And in fact, he's probably made them worse since <laughs> from the man that he replaced. Because I was I was looking at the at the at the scores since uh, Scott Parker's taken over. Club Bruges have only won once, uh, but they've literally drew the rest of their games, and so. <laughs> I've never known a, a, an appointment where the where the squad actually gets a worse manager, and have actually declined. But by by the way, the only game that they did win was against Zoltar Vadechem on ten men, 
um, who are in the relegation zone. So they didn't exactly beat difficult opponents either. Yeah, so I imagine Benfica will comfortably um, win this, uh, or comfortably um, get out of this tie. So now we'll look at the Bundesliga, where we had one of the biggest games that happens every year. Um, you have Borussia Mönchengladbach playing by Munich. It's Borussia Mönchengladbach since the start of this year haven't won again or won once against Hoffenheim, who were relegation threatened, and by Munich are unbeaten in twenty games going into this game. But obviously, as this always happens, there's guaranteed that there's one team that will beat Bayern Munich every season. And it's Borussia Mönchengladbach, and it happened again. There just seems to be something where, bearing in mind, Gladbach got pummeled 4-1 by relegation first in Hertha Berlin the weekend before. They go and come out in a, a completely different team and beat Bayern Munich 3-2. So there was, it has to be worth noting that Bayern were down to 10 men within 8 minutes. And there was a very controversial red card to Diot Upamecano with um, him fouling Alisson player, Upa McConnell was the last man, so technically it was meant, he was meant to get sent off, but some people didn't like it. Um, then Gladbach literally scored quite soon after, and Bayern just struggled to kind of get into the game from here. Obviously, they did, they did have 10 men, which um, doesn't help, but they overall looked quite bad. Jao Cancelo came on and also did absolutely nothing. Um... Obviously, they, they did have 10 men. Chipper Moting equalised for Bayern, but then Jonas Hoffman, who's having a great season, um, gave Gladbach the lead before Marcus Thuram then doubled Gladbach's lead to make it 3-1. Uh, Matthias Thiel scored in the 93rd minute to make it 3-2, but it was literally the last kick of the game. And so Gladbach would actually just dominate it's, it's not a rivalry. They just always kick their asses. I don't know why they do it or how they do it, but they keep doing it. And yeah, yeah, and so it does mean now uh, that the table in the Bundesliga is wide open, um, the the top of it and actually the bottom. Um, so then you have Borussia Dortmund who played the game after or the day after they beat Hertha Berlin four one. Adeyemi scored. He assisted Marlon, but then he was uh, he went off injured. Um, Marco Royce also scored and so did Julian Brandt um, Dortmund once again a good Dortmund, this is not a, ground, ground out, a, a grinded out win but obviously Hertha Berlin made it difficult for Dortmund but they managed to get through it and obviously as we say time and time again these are the type of games you have to win normally if it was this, this two horse race between Bayern and Dortmund this is a game that Dortmund lose. We've seen it time and time again. Bayern drop points. Dortmund play a day or so later. And they also drop points. And they don't capitalise on this. However, this time, they have. And they're now level on points with Bayern. And the other team that's also level on points with Bayern, the surprise of all of this, is Union Berlin. They were playing Schalke, who were dead last. And hadn't scored in three games before this. And they do no no. And so Union Berlin had the chance to go top, but now they're also level on points with Bayern. And it's worth noting that Schalke have now not scored in four games. And it's a record in the Bundesliga for them drawing four games 0-0 in 
in a row. Um, I, I think you can make the argument that this Schalke, although on paper, like that, they're a lot closer to safety than the Schalke that got relegated previously. But I, I could make the argument that this Schalke is equally as bad, if not worse, um, than that previous Schalke. So, going into this weekend, it's a very interesting weekend. You have Brissy Dortmund playing Hoffenheim. Hoffenheim are relegation threatened. They're only, I think, the level on points with 16th and 17th. They've had a massive decline as of late. Um, Dortmund play first before on Sunday is the big one between Bayern Munich and Union Berlin. Obviously, first versus second. It could be second versus third, um, depending on how Dortmund do. So it would definitely be interesting how this pans out, because in the first game, or in the first meeting between these two this season, Union Berlin drew 1-1 and actually took the lead. So you have two of the best um, defences in the league cut against each other. Obviously, they're both at the top of the league. If Bayern Munich don't win, then obviously we have a title race on our hands now, but then it's even more wide open. Especially with Freiburg, who have the chance to go level on points with whoever on 43. So whoever doesn't win... If one team doesn't win, Freiburg are right behind them. And then one point behind them, you have Leipzig. And then one point behind them, you have Frankfurt. So all these teams are within reach. And so anything can really happen here. And I think it is it is probably... Oh no, I think, in fact, is the most narrow title race in the top five leagues in Europe. Five points separate first from sixth, which... And normally wouldn't that happen in the Bundesliga, which is what makes this exciting. So now we will have our break and then we'll be back with... Welcome back from our anthem break. We will now review the Borussia Mönchengladbach anthem. Obviously, for me, 10 out of 10. Nothing better than it. So, Nick, what did you rate it at? It's a good anthem. I like it. It's energetic. Um, and it's fun. 8 out of 10. I like it quite a lot. 
So now we will look at uh, Liga, where we had PSG play Lille in, in a goal first, really, which saw PSG win 4 3. Um, PSG took a, a very commanding lead, leading 2 0, but then it just kind of collapsed. And Leo just scored three unanswered. It caused Luis Campos, the sporting director, to come down and, and act as like a, a manager along with Christophe Gautier. Um, turns out it made a difference. As Neymar was Mbappe equalised quite in the 87th minute before Messi then produced his normal heroics, equalising or scoring the winner in the 95th minute. Um, it so, PSG continue to be underwhelming, and it kind of. What what does this mean for uh, Christophe Galtier exactly, as well? He joined PSG in the summer from Nice. Um, he had all this promise about stuff, and he they seemed to be forming a, a team. Um, however, it just hasn't worked at all. Um, they just seem to not be the team that they look to be in the first couple of games of the season uh, they struggle I don't I imagine come the end of the season I don't think Gautier will Gaut, if if PSG get knocked out in the in the round of 16 in Champions League I don't even think Gautier will make the end of the season and it's, it's a shame that he's suffered such a decline from winning the title with Lille and then he's kind of collapsed at Nice and the same thing is happening again now I just think it's rather sad. I I do agree, but I think it also makes sense. Um, it's not the first time we've seen a good tactics manager uh, fail at PSG. Tuchel had a similar problem, and he's not been the only one. I think uh, what happens is that um, it's the personalities. Like you try and do something creative and and new, and and have very specific tactics for for a team, and and then you have well players with a with with a very specific idea of how they want to play pushing back and saying no I don't want to play that way or um, or maybe they have interactions in the dressing room which uh, the manager doesn't know how to address I think um, a more fuck it vibes kind of manager like Carlo Ancelotti would, would be a would be a little bit better kind of the idea of uh, just like letting everyone do what, what they what they do best and, and you just put 11 good players in the pitch and, and, and hope they hope they do well bit of an oversimplification of course but, uh, but yeah I, I think uh Specific tactics managers aren't the best for PSG, and we're seeing it once again with a, with a Gaultier. They could potentially collapse again this weekend as they play Marseille. So it's the Le Classique. Um, it will be interesting. And Marseille are only five points behind PSG, so if they win, that will then become two. And PSG could potentially fumble the bag once again. So we also have a big game in, in La Liga this weekend. Yep, indeed. Uh, we have the Madrid derby, um, which is it do- doesn't really need an introduction. It's it's the Madrid derby. It's one of the biggest games in Spain, one of the biggest derbies in in Spain and in Europe as well. Um, and it's it's gonna be interesting because Real Madrid um, have been a little bit shaky. Obviously, they beat a mid-table Premier League side, but like anyone can do that. Um, and then uh, Atletico have also not been at their best. Um, and in the in the Madrid derby earlier this season. We saw some really, really low quality football. It was so bad. Both teams were walking across the pitch. And was, I'm not gonna lie, a little bit embarrassing. But uh, but Real Madrid won that one. 
And obviously, it's very important for both teams, as per usual, not only because of pride, but because of their positions in the table. If uh, Real Madrid don't manage to, to win, um, they'll really struggle to catch with Bar- to catch up with Barcelona because right now there's an eight-point difference between first and second spot. So a dropping points would basically be uh, giving Barcelona the opportunity to run away with the, with the league if they haven't already. Meanwhile, Atleti are having a poor season, um, struggling to get on their feet. Post-World Cup, they've improved slightly, but they're, they're just marginally winning games. And um, they're currently in fourth spots, which is better than they better than they deserve. Just that no one else in the league is playing well at all. Um, so they're two points off third spot, and they're four points clear off fifth spot. So they're not currently in danger of falling out of the Champions League spots, um, but they don't want their momentum to be cut out because right now psychologically the team really doesn't need to be stopped. Um, that would actually really suck for them. And also, it just would set up future problems. And also, you don't want to finish fourth in a three-horse race. That's just stupid. So, uh, Aleti has a lot of pressure. Real Madrid has equal amounts of pressure on. And it's going to be it's going to be a, a good game either way. Uh, and and actually, actually, you know, after seeing the last one, I can't even say that anymore. It's going to be a game. There's probably going to be a fight, which is quite cool. Um, but uh, but but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Finally, in Syria, Napoli are 15 points clear at the top of the table. Um, I think it's safe to say I was ahead of the curve. By like three years, years, yeah, like two or three years ago. <laughs> um, they beat the Swallow 2-0. Uh, obviously, Victor Oshiman and Kvart Shelia are probably the best duo in the world at the moment. I don't think really anyone comes close. Um, I think they're reaching... Or may have even surpassed the levels that Vinicius Jr. and Benzema reached last season. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> without a shadow of it. Obviously, here, Juventus, um, they beat Spezia 2-0. They're now 7th, which is a bit of an issue, because obviously we're known Juventus haters. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We were happy with their downfall, but they've now turned <laughs> it around. Um, they're 7th. The positive is that they are 9 points off of Atalanta in 6th. So it will be very hard for them to kind of catch up and close this gap because they have they were inconsistent before their their ban. Uh, they've been a bit more solid since, but I imagine they will continue to be inconsistent, and they probably won't be able to close the gap on Atalanta. So that is it for today. Thank you for listening. Please like us, follow us, subscribe, and yeah, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much and we will see you later.